I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder. And for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of women and non-binary people of colour. Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our podcast, Growing Up with Galdem. So today on Growing Up with Galdem, we are joined by the incredible Charmaine Lovegrove, who is a good friend of ours, a mentor, um, and she's also been on Galdem's advisory board for some time. She is famously the publisher of Dialogue Books, which is an inclusive imprint as part of the Little Brown book group at Hachette. Charmaine has worked in many, many kind of different careers, different roles, different jobs. Um, She was also the literary editor of Elle and set up her own bookshop. 
and creative agency whilst living in Berlin, which she's now just returned to during this lockdown period. She's also on the board of the Black Cultural Archives and is also a founding organiser of the newly established Black Writers Guild. So we're really, really excited to have you here with us today, Charmaine. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really happy to um, be here and just always just love everything that you do. It's always surprising and illuminating and inspiring. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Charmaine. Um, so I've been really enjoying your kind of joyous updates from Berlin. And I don't, I feel like, I feel like you're, you always have brilliant sort of posts on social media, but during the pandemic, they've been bringing me like particular joy. How has the pandemic period been for you? Do you feel like you've learned a lot about yourself? And I'm curious to know with the, the move to Berlin as well, did, did that all kind of take place within the confines of the pandemic? Did you have the idea that you were going to move during the pandemic and then sort of put the plans in place or was it kind of in the back of your mind from before then or so as you know I'm a really deeply political person my husband and I had just sort of moved back to the UK only we'd only been there a year and then the referendum um, happened and obviously we were not expecting the result and we sort of had two things that we decided after the 24th of June 2016 that we would do and or sort of two caveats and the caveats were if we had, we didn't have the language of no deal, but if the negotiations went badly and we would lose our rights as Europeans, then we would leave. And if Boris Johnson were to become prime minister, then we would leave. Um, so on Friday, the 13th of December 2019, then, you know, we woke up. I mean, I didn't actually go to bed because, of course, I stayed up to watch the election um, and witness this really grave moment in British history where Boris Johnson becomes prime minister. And so we knew that we were going to have to leave. I think it was going to be really complicated in hindsight with my job. I think it could have happened, but I think I would have always have been the person that was away um, had it not been for the pandemic. And so the pandemic kind of gave me a, a bigger license to do what everyone is doing, which is work from home. And it's actually been entirely seamless. And I also am not sort of isolated in the fact that it's not everyone in the office and I'm the one that works away from home. And knowing that we're not going to go back to that full office arrangement again makes it a lot easier to manage. And I feel better. You know, I'd never picked up my son from school since. I um, became a publisher three years ago and now I pick him up every day because I start work much earlier when he goes to school which is sort of 6am your time 7am our time and then I finish at sort of 2.30 UK time and go and pick him up I spend some hours with him and then I kind of get back in and do whatever needs to be done in the evening and I can get those final emails done and importantly reading which is a huge part of my job um, is sort of done lockdown's perfect for reading in some ways because there's no distractions of wanting to go out because you're not allowed to in terms of Berlin as a city, how does it feel to be like returning to this place that has held so much significance and marked this kind of start to a new chapter of your life all those years ago when you first moved there? I mean, it's so interesting to really realise how much Berlin is home. So when we moved back to the UK after a year, it was very clear that my family weren't suited to London. It was just kind of not enough space, too big, too busy and really sort of informal and no one had time you know and so we moved to Bristol and Bristol was really great but we didn't really know that many people there it wasn't really our home and then coming back I wasn't sure um it had been sort of four and a half five years since we've been away and 
everyone in my family has changed, including our dog, Ochi, is like a different dog, but everyone <laughs> has changed for the positive and has sort of reverted back into the family that we created um, here, you know, and that came together. And our son is so happy, you know, he identifies very much as being a Berliner and to be German, you know, he doesn't feel mm. British. It doesn't, he feels, you know, this is his home. This is where he's born. We live in West Berlin. He was born in around the corner from where we live. And, you know, for him, it's home. My husband, he's a fluent German speaker. He's been able to slot into his job here and just have the life that he always thought he'd have when he moved here when he was 23. So we basically, like, it's it's a real glow up for us coming back, you know, like. Love that. Love that. Well, we went from living in like a 50 square meter apartment to an 87 square meter apartment and now we live in a 160 square meter apartment so it's bigger than our four bedroom four-story townhouse in Bristol so we have lots of space lots of light and um, so space for you guys to come and stay of course I was about to say I'm inviting myself (laughs) Candice has already been so you know um, the the spare room is Candiceified so um, you know (laughs) but we love having people over and I think as a black British woman you know what's really interesting is that there's so many more black people here than there were before every day I see black people and I'm communicating communicating with lots of black British people that have moved over in the transition year. Um, Kachenga's here, Simon Osansade, who used to work with me here. Ghost Poet is here. Um, Musa is here, you know, and so there's just like a real rich intellectual culture that's here. And I feel like I can say what I want to say, be who I am Mm. and no holds barred and that I'm not sort of not worried because I live in a truly liberal sort of socialist cultured um, city as opposed to a deeply um, fractured capitalist city which is how I see my home city of London now. It would be lovely sort of on that note for you to read your extract for us. It feels quite pertinent because the whole article is really touching on these moments where you physically move but also you've kind of evolved as a person so it feels like we're reading the right thing today. So yeah, if you could read that out, that would be amazing. So one Wednesday afternoon in 1997, I packed up my belongings and left the home I'd grown up in. I thought we'd all have some cooling off time and I'd be back in a few months. In fact, I never went back and was never able to reconcile with my parents. The best way I can describe the relationship between me and my family is akin to Roald Dahl's Matilda. I wasn't an only child, but I was a lonely child, and I had an extraordinarily different perspective on the world compared to my parents. Our values were different, although they were educated and had good jobs. I felt they were much more aspirational and consumerist, whilst I craved culture, books and ideas. Over the time, these differences were exacerbated and expressed in our diverging attitudes and my inability to conform to their wishes. By the age of 16, it became clear that I was no longer able to live in my family home in a way that I would feel would be positive for my future. First stop was home of one of my best friends, Jessie. She, her family and their dog, Sandy, welcomed me into their home for a period that I don't think that any of us realised would be as long and as exhausting as it was. Jessie's parents were kind, thoughtful and gave us a lot of freedom. Freedom wasn't something I knew how to deal with, so I pushed boundaries, So, and I ran up huge phone bills, ate all the food, and generally ran amok. 
not because I was meaning to be disrespectful, but because I wanted to do everything that I hadn't been allowed to do. And I had little understanding of how my behavior affected others. Jesse's parents came to me one day with a triple digit landline bill and explained that I would need to pay them back. I did, and it was clear that I also needed to move on. After some sofa surfing with various friends and family across London, I ended up staying in hostels in Soho. They were for young adults between 15 and 19, an age when the state is still responsible for you. After that, you were all on your own. Thank you for sharing that, Charmaine. I was aware of, um, of pieces of your story from sort of interviewing you in the past, but I hadn't actually read this article before. So, um, yeah, it's a really powerful read. How does it feel to sort of look back on that moment now? Um, and what sort of headspace were you in when you were writing that and sort of recounting that? I think I wrote this during lockdown and I wrote it quite quickly. I think this time is um, it's at the forefront of my mind now more than ever, especially as I'm a mother and, you know, my son is nine and I'm making these decisions. And I'm also kind of, I think I'm around the age that my mum probably was when I left home. So I'm trying to imagine what would it be like having a 16-year-old now, like what would have been the challenges and the hurdles and all of those things, whilst also not also giving too much space to someone, you know, my mother or my parents, you know, who I don't really know anymore because I haven't been in contact with them since that time. So, yeah, it's, it's really reflective. And I just kind of can't quite believe that I got here, but I also, I'm not really sure what the alternative was because I could only do what I was going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that you spend a lot of time sort of with your son sort of preempting what his future will be like or his, what his behaviour will be like and how you can sort of help shape and, and mould him? Yeah, it's really interesting um, because recently we've been discussing what he wants to do in his future and he'd always wanted to be a herpetologist. Always, he's nine. He, he wanted to be a herpetologist <laughs> and so he wanted to study reptiles and amphibians in Eastern Europe. That was like his big thing. And then everything kind of hit with Black Lives Matter. And during lockdown, I've been teaching him um, from the beginning of lockdown. I've been I couldn't really get on with what the schoolwork was and the the process. So I've been teaching him um, myself in the afternoons and I set up a curriculum where I was teaching him the culture and histories of African and Caribbean nations. And I had bought loads of books and been sent loads of books and did a big call out on Twitter. So this is in March, you know, this is before the murder of George Floyd, because as black people, we know that our history is relevant before moments that white people come into it. And it was really important to me that I took this time to kind of teach my son as we were homeschooling. And what was really interesting is that actually George Floyd's murder sort of intercepted in my teaching. So I decided to teach him about civil rights um, and activism and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks. And he had to write an essay every day about it. And <laughs> Very classic, Shami. <laughs> yeah, I love that that is, that is Jackson's curriculum has been that. That's amazing. Well, you know, it, it starts and it continues, you know, and it will continue throughout his whole life. Like I'm still learning about all of this stuff. There's so many details that I'm still learning about and kernel the nugget, you know, has to start from somewhere. So recently we've been talking about how people are useful within society and what kind of jobs are useful. And so I've been saying to him, you know, if you're really interested in the environment, if you're really interested in human rights, which he is, then 
I think you shouldn't be looking towards becoming a lawyer rather than a scientist because like your maths isn't that hot, you know, like actually your language skills, your story skills, et cetera, are like really, really great. And your sort of understanding of justice. And I'm like, let's look at some really amazing black lawyers. Let's look at people like Amal Clooney and I'll tell you what they do. And now he's very much like, I can, he can see that as a path. I'm like in the future, when the as the environment climate change changes as politics and the far right um, come more into the fore we're going to need people who have skills and jobs where they can actually help people so for example colston the statue you know my son went to colston school in bristol we were there we watched the statue come down we were of course you <laughs> we were, were there right in front of it there. and you know and then i explained to him that like you know, these people might go to prison and that now I've got to try and find some lawyers to help them. And it'd be really great if we found some black lawyers specifically to embarrassers to help them. And in explaining all of those things, you're kind of making those connections of like that can also be you. Um, and so anyway, now he told my grandma last night that he wants to be a lawyer, his great grandma. So you imagine how proud she mm. was. You're like, it's working. It's worked. The seeds have been <laughs> yeah. planted. Yeah, and what what a time and a moment for him to have been present for. I'm really interested in this idea of, like, you sharing your story, right? Because writing about these things in a magazine is a very, like, public and exposing thing to do. And you're a publisher and someone whose job is very much about facilitating other people's stories in, in many ways. Did it come natural to you to share your story in this way? Have you always been like super open? That's such an interesting question because it's kind of an accident of things, you know. So let's say when I had my bookshop in Berlin when I was 27, I wasn't a confident writer, you know. So everything that I wrote, my husband and my assistant would always check over and they would highlight all the mistakes that I'd make. And then they would, and then they would sort of, through looking at the mistakes and I just kind of learned how to write and now it's really interesting I still get my husband to look over everything but he doesn't have as many corrections you know before it was like all red um so I had to go through my own process of sort of learning how to be a better writer and also because I've because I've always read so broadly then um, I've understood how a narrative structure should work and so I sort of had all these tools at my disposal. So now I just kind of use those with the experience I have and writing something like that just flows. I looked at old school publishers from many years ago and really felt like, you know, to be a publisher, I'm doing what I'm doing where I publish underrepresented um, voices and marginalised voices um, or people from marginalised backgrounds. So it was really, really, really important to be a strong voice as part of that and kind of lead the way. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that I need to write a book, but it does mean that I should be able to tell my story and inspire other people because there's lots of different aspects to it and there aren't any kind of rules. Like I haven't followed these rules. And if that can be inspiring to other people, especially like, you know, your audience, for example, then I'm okay with putting myself out there because I realized there weren't so many people that I could look up to when I was, um, when I was younger, I was just following my own path stubbornly and blindly. And I want to inspire other people to do that. So if that means I have to be open about my story, um, even if it doesn't make me always that comfortable, then so be it. 
Thank you, Charmaine. Um, in the latter half of the article, which we didn't quite get to in your extract, you speak about not being able to prove you were homeless and therefore not being eligible for social housing. And you also speak a bit about the, the disbelief of others when they hear your story and they hear your voice. Could you tell us a little bit more about, about that and, and what it was like to go through that? Yeah, I think, you know, we have a really complicated relationship with class in the UK and and the expectations of what people from different races or class should be. And being my intersectional experience is that I am a black woman from a middle class environment who had working class experiences. And that experience of sort of leaving home and, you know, being on the street and being homeless is more of a working class experience, but that wasn't the environment that I came from. So I had to learn how to navigate that. And it was really difficult because I also never wanted to change who I was. And one thing that's very hard to change is um, your accent. And when I was younger um, in Clapham Junction, I would always be taunted. I suppose bullying is sort of too strong, but sort of taunted by people saying like, you know, you think you're white or you're too posh to be black and all of that stuff. And it, you know, I, I actually, you know, and I used to have a cello and I went to a convent school and I'd have my cello on my back and I'd be like, I had this haircut, like I had a, a bob that was relaxed. And so classic haircut. Ol- <laughs> classic haircut. And they used to call me olive oil because I have I'm really I was like really tall and skinny with really long feet. I've got like size eight. And it was just, you know, I mean I mean it was I was just very cute. Um, <laughs> I was just very cute and just wanting to play the cello and, you know, just get on with my life. And a lot of people were just like, Who are you? And then, you know, and then I would start quoting like Dr. Maya Angelou or Malcolm X and I would talk and I'd be talking about like the freedom of the people and I'd be telling them I'd literally be shouting at them and telling them that they have enslaved minds and they were just like, <laughs> What are you talking about? And I was just like, Listen, you know, I am the grand I'm the granddaughter of the Harlem Renaissance. And they're just like, What? Like, and I just like, I was just, this is just how I was raised, you know, to be, to know about literature, to know about our history and, and the idea that I should have one particular accent when I actually spoke, like everyone I grew up around um, was just really bizarre, but it meant that it was really hard to navigate a system where essentially I should have like a council flat in, in zone one, two somewhere um, that I've already sold multiple times. Um, and But I didn't get that because the state were also just like, who are you? And so I was used to that from a really, really young age. You know, I didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have parents. I never went home and I should have been given a home. Um, but I wasn't because they were like, you can do this by yourself. And they were like, you, there's a privilege. So I already understood that I had this privilege. And so then my thing was to work out how to use it for my own good, and then in turn use it for greater good. And basically, that's kind of been my story. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Yeah, I was going to say I can um, very much empathize with being the cello girl at school. My friends used to call me turtle when I'd like rock (gasps) up. (laughs) I'd I'd rock up to school with my cello on my back. Um, But I didn't realize that you you used to play with you a little as well. But anyway, that's the least important part of (laughs) it. Of the story you just told. Well, no, I think I think that is really important because this is the thing is about understanding where we all connect and the experiences that we have and these really small things. If you don't ask a question, if you don't delve into what people are doing, then you're not gonna you're not gonna find this out and then you don't connect. And I think, you know, lots of people have these kinds of experiences but haven't necessarily had the ability or the platform or whatever to express themselves. And there's a lot of people who probably had experiences like mine or yours who who, who never, to use the Tesla analogy, like never came out of their shell and never got to realise who they could be. And so, um, you know, in, in some ways, I'm happy to write my story in order to, to pay homage to those people as well who, who didn't get to have that sort of freedom, I suppose. I love to have this picture of this, like, young Charmaine with the, with the bob and the size eight feet and the cello and the books and the quotes like and I love it and I think you you mentioned you know some of the authors that that have um you know shaped your understanding of the world that we live in and we've spoken a lot about the importance of of understanding legacy and it's why I've also like decided to go back into education (laughs) Um, (laughs) and yeah, I've not finished my reading for this week, so let's not talk about it. And you mentioned, you, 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 there was this line, you mentioned that reading Baldwin and Morrison and Angelo have kind of given you this foundation for empathy. And it would be great if you could explain a little bit more about what you meant when you said that in the article. 
Yeah, it's so interesting because a really good friend of mine, her daughter just read The Bluest Eye um, by Toni Morrison, but she'd actually read The Vanishing Half first. And so her and I had a call the other day that was like an hour and a half where we just sort of talked about it. And, you know, she's a white, middle-class, privileged girl who um, has a... um, a zest for life and is 16 years old and um, is really kind of on point on so many things. I have so much respect for this young woman. And it was just so interesting because I was like, what was that like reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett? And then, you know, which is about passing and then reading The Bluest Eye because I read The Bluest Eye when I was 14 years old. And when I was... 14, you know, this idea of sort of beauty and blackness was just, it was given to me in a really different way. It was always sort of through sexuality and it was through sort of salt and pepper or it was through kind of black women, um, soul groups and R&B groups and, and a sort of an, an objectification. It was always about love and like wanting a man to love you and that lust, um, that's felt and how do you feel when a man feels about you? And I, and so, having this literature kind of gave me a completely different understanding that one, people don't have to have a man love them and men can love men through Baldwin. And two, that, you know, to not be white and blonde and blue eyes was actually an incredible thing because you had more stories to tell and that your life was richer. And also through sort of people like Terry McMillan, like how, how Stella got her groove back, et cetera. You know, that thing of like sisterhood and friendship, these were like the foundations of, of my, of my life. And I was, I was reading these outside of school and going to the libraries and, and speaking to my uncles and, you know, my cousins about it. And it was just really interesting. And it didn't occur to me that it was so different or that we would be in the situation that we are today. Because to me, it's like I grew up with a rich cacophony of, of voices encouraging me to be who I I am and obviously you know every parent wants their child to read but I don't think that my parents had really really thought about like the impacts that it would have on me that I would become this like very strong opinionated young woman from such an early age that it just actually meant that our relationship didn't work and so that was the sort of the tough side of it but I felt incredibly empowered by these voices um you know Dr. Maya Angelou, um, How the Cage Bird Sings, you know, I mean, I've never been through anything that she went through. And so I always knew that people had it worse than me. And so therefore, I've always been grateful, even if it's been tough. And that's what literature has really given me. And I think that's why, although at the top, you said that I've had lots and lots of different jobs, I feel like I've only ever had one job, which is to match um, readers with great storytelling. And that I've done that in lots of different ways. True, it's true, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's no, I, but I think it's an interesting kind of distinction and an important distinction that I haven't, I haven't kind of done loads and loads of different things. I've just kind of been experimental with how do we capture readers and how do we have these illuminating moments that literature brings. Yeah, and I w- I'll never forget the time where you took me and Georgina Lawton, who's just got her book coming out now actually to foils in in central london and and sort of picked out some books for us one of which is like my favorite book like ever and i've is was um here comes the sun by nicole dennis i love that book yeah i feel like it's really important and i think that we were having drinks after we'd just been to the theater and we were having drinks and we were going to go for dinner 
And I was like, have you read this or have you read that? And you guys were talking about writing. And I was like, no, 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 like read, read, read. And then your writing will really come. And I've said that to both of you in the past. And it's, I can also see that it's true. Like I can also see through your writing, both of you over the like five, six years that I've known you, I can really see that like, you know, your writing has is changing because you're just like the influence it's not just sort of your opinion you're, you're, you're drawing all these different references and it's it's built it's built this foundation and that's all I that's all I want really you know is that well people have questions about us especially as black women and queer black women about like our rights then the thing that we can do in this world is show people like we have history we have form we know what to do with it we are confident and you can't tell us no because the reality is, is that, you know, we are standing on the shoulders of greatness and we know what that greatness is. And when you don't know, then you can be, it's like a pyramid, you know, if you build a pyramid properly, then it's like you can't, the foundations can't shake, but you can be really shaken if you don't have those foundations, if you don't know what came before. And I feel like, you know, that's just, that's just the auntie in me now. <laughs> But I and I and I feel like it's important to note that both of I feel like the first time you meet you, Charmaine, is like a very special moment. And I feel like we both had lots of thoughts and feelings and emotions and you know all sorts and comparing notes of what was it like when you first met Charmaine when we when we did when we didn't really know you that well. Yeah, I can't I I feel like with our first meeting, there was a lot of conversation and a lot of wine. A lot of wine. There's always <laughs> and, a lot of wine. And we met under quite unusual circumstances as well, because I was eavesdropping. I didn't know you. I didn't know who you were at the time, but I remember eavesdropping. You were having a conversation on a train in Loughborough Junction yeah. about like the publishing industry and how white it was. I can't remember what the conversation was. And I just, and I don't ever do this. I probably was talking about how white it was and how awful it was. And I was on a Southeastern train. Yeah, yeah. Some standard stuff. <laughs> and I don't really do this, but I remember inserting myself and being like, oh, that's, I don't know if I said hi or whatever, but that kind of marked the start of this of this uh, like friendship relationship which is funny to think back to now I know and I think I think that that's the thing is that there's sort of serendipity and um and sort of understanding that sometimes you need to be connected to something or someone who is in a in a space where you want to engage in you know and I'm 39 now so I'm really taking on my auntie stance like quite seriously <laughs> Um, and I'm just really, I'm so proud of seeing you guys specifically, but like a, a range of, um, of the next generation, like really come through and really mean it and, and have that sort of, um, politicized and activist, um, heart in everything that you're doing and understanding how difficult it is. I think that for my generation, it, I think because we come from the boomers generation. So I think people just thought it would be how it was before. And I think it's harder for my generation to really um, see like the challenges that are ahead because everything's been quite comfortable. You know, it's been quite comfortable since the 80s and 90s and with a blip of 2008. But for you guys, it's just different. And I think it's much more raw. It's much more what it was like for people in the 20s, um, in their 20s, in the 1980s. You know, and I think that was sort of my parents' generation and um, who are now in their 60s. And so I think, you know, you have a, 
you have it all to you have it all there and you have this history you have this foundation and I'm just really happy to be part of helping to kind of navigate it and and also learn from you guys as well I'm constantly inspired um, by what you're doing Um, I feel like it's a really positive exchange and that we're all equal so thank you for everything yeah that's lovely to hear and Mm. like I'm yeah I'm sure you already know this but you are like literally like our hero and (laughs) someone we can always depend on for like solid advice and honestly through the tears through the trauma through the good days through all of it Mm -hmm. so we really do appreciate you Mm -hmm. and this could easily just turn into a love (laughs) fair i love you guys so just one final question on the extract you speak in the piece about how you would have never dared to dream about the job you now have which is is really interesting because you outwardly are someone who exceeds like so much confidence and even just hearing you say about your husband checking your writing that, that surprised me I was like what Charmaine wasn't confident about her writing so when when do you think that you first sort of dared to dream big and and sort of grasp that for the first time I think it's again about knowing that foundation like I said and feeling like you've had that education or you've known what to do and I didn't study English literature so I think you know it was just really important um also when I was younger when I was 14 15 and I had to read out in class I used to really stutter you know I actually was I couldn't read in this class I'd feel so nervous and so for example you only asked me to read the extract like two minutes before I did it and I can't believe that I didn't stumble over a word you know like again I, I, I as I was reading it I was thinking oh my god you've come so far like you can literally just read something now and so it's just practice I suppose and being put in situations with my job, what happened was that I'd been to a dinner. It was a really posh publishing dinner in Mayfair, which was a, it was called the Society of Bookmen, but they decided to call it the Society after a boat. They decided to call it the Society of Book People. It was one of these dinners that feels like formal hall in Cambridge. So when they call your name, they would say, Charmaine Lovegrove, publisher of Dialogue Books, has been invited by Julia Kingsford of Kingsford Campbell. And then everyone would clap and you're just like, what is this? And I noticed that the issue in publishing is very much about women and women being at the top and the the gender balance. But I also noticed that I was the only black person in this room of about 150 people. So after the dinner, I had a private members club, Soho House, and I invited three people to come with me. One of those people was Charlie King, who is the MD of Little Brown. The other is um, Philip Jones, um, who is the editor of um, The Bookseller, which is a trade magazine for publishing, and also Julia Kingsford, who invited me. The long story short, we ended up having a conversation about the diversity issue of The Bookseller that was coming out the next day there was a fact that is out of 165,000 books that were published in the UK in 2016, less than 100 were published by people of colour and only one black male debut was published. We just got into a really big conversation about it. It was really interesting. And I suggested that they start an imprint. Now, I'd at Little Brown because I just watched the Virago documentary and saw how Little Brown had Virago, which is a feminist imprint that was started like 45 years ago. I didn't believe that I would become a publisher. Like that wasn't really what I was thinking I would be doing, especially because I hadn't come through that editorial route. But then I had um, lunch, sorry, with Charlie um, King a few months later. And I realized that it was actually an interview (laughs) and that he was interviewing me to run this imprint um, that I'd 
devised. And I came out of that that lunch and I called Toby Coventry, who was my business partner for Dialogue Scouting, which is our film to book, um, book to film um, consultancy. I called him and said, if I don't do this job, I think I'm going to have to leave the publishing industry because I think I've just talked myself into becoming a publisher. And so that's really how it happened. And then I did some work on a business plan and I went to Jamaica and I spent time and, you know, and I had people like Candice um, help me and Ella Wakatami, who looked through my plans. Um, I spoke to other publishers, etc. Um, and I gained confidence that actually I could be a publisher. You know, I didn't have to know my grammar doesn't have to be perfect because there's people that do that. I had to understand how the job worked. But I did have a vision and I did have a vision of what kinds of books could be published and the books that I felt could be published are the books that I'm publishing. So that's kind of how it works. And I don't think you can really dream of these things, you know, because this, these roles don't open up without you pushing down the door, basically. What happened was that I was confident enough to say, this should happen. And then at some point I was like, oh, I'm the person that should do it rather than trying to think who else could do it. I was like, oh, I could do this. And actually I'd really love it. And it turns out that I love it more than I could ever have dreamed of. Um, and that's the, that's the beauty of it. Amazing. Incredible. I think the final thing that we want to ask you really is considering this like massive growth journey and you know, where, where you started, where you are now, the different experiences that you've had. What do you think that younger Charmaine, who perhaps didn't have the confidence to read out loud, would think about where you are now? Oh my God, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I just think she'd be so proud. I think, I think she'd be so amazed. And I think she would say, this is you were right to keep working hard and you were right to stick to what you believed in. You know, you have to remember that, as I said, coming from the sort of middle-class part of Battersea, a lot of my friends went on to be sort of lawyers and doctors and do things that are really useful to society. And I, um, I just was the one that worked in the bookshop and I'd meet them for dinner and they'd always, you know, near their work and their chambers or whatever. And it was always really nice. And, and they would always, you know, and all the parents would be like, oh, it's so sweet that you work in a bookshop. Just so lovely, Charmaine. And, but I just, I just, where I felt safe and how I felt comfortable. And so it was really difficult to sort of, it wasn't even that difficult to not be seen as sort of successful because that wasn't what I was chasing. So to have made a success, um, to be financially, have more financial security, to have an amazing partner and a wonderful child and great friends and, and, you know, and to create my own family is just something that I could have only have, I could have only have dreamed of. And I, and to also be doing that in a different country and a different language as well is beyond anything that I, I would have thought as sort of, 11, 12, 13-year-old Charmaine, where I was probably at my most unhappiest. Um, I was at my most, um, I was at my saddest when I was 11, 12, 13. So I can't, um, I can't imagine that this is the reality. So, yeah, I think you have to stick to the things that you believe in if you're doing it for the right reasons. 
And yeah, I can't believe I'm crying as I say this, but no, it's beautiful, honestly. Mm. You know, it's really hard. Like sleeping on the streets is really, really, really difficult, and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And people telling you no because of how you look or how you sound is is really a tragedy in our society when people don't get what they need because of assumptions of who they are. And now I'm in a position to fight that, and so. That's the core of everything that I do and why I do it, because I don't want other people to be in this state. I mean, we just can't wait to see what you do next. And um, I'm actually reading The Vanishing Half at the moment. And like, yeah, it's, you know, you've published so many beautiful, brilliant books in the, how many years have it been? Two, two years? Three. Three years. Three years. Yeah. I will be in Berlin soon. And, <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Growing Up with Galdem. We really appreciate you for listening and supporting. It was really beautiful to be joined by Charmaine Lovegrove, who we've known for some time and has been there for so many kind of significant moments, I think, in, in both our lives. Sorry if the sound quality wasn't incredible. Charlie managed to lock herself out of her house and so Ubered it over to me. So we were doing it in a slightly makeshift setting. But if um, you've enjoyed the podcast and, and the rest of the series, then please, please, please do subscribe, like, share, tell your mates about it, share it, and also sign up to become a Galden member at our website where you will find lots of incredible, groundbreaking content. So thank you for joining us today. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com. Galdem has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online. Thank you so much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.